Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton, and this episode is going to be airing at the end of December, and that is when everybody is going to start dieting and clicking on all of those Facebook ads and blog posts about 30-day this and 21-day this and all of these different food lists and meal plans and diet programs, they're going to go right back into that not-so-effective cycle of eat less and exercise more. But I want everybody to just pause for a second. And instead of just kind of like hearing the words I'm saying, I want you to really think about this for yourself. You know full well that you're not going to reach your fat loss goals when you overeat the cookies and ice cream and leftover pizza at night, right? Like you know that diving into the chips because you're stressed is going to hold you back, right? I mean, of course you do. I knew that too, but you do it anyway. So success is not about a new plan, but it's about the things that keep you from executing the plan every single other time that you've ever done it. Success does not come from the new diet, the meal plan. It comes from getting control of your impulses and your habits and your emotional eating. Emotional eating is not solved by a new food plan or meal list or 30-day anything because when we are stressed or sad or lonely or happy or whatever your emotional trigger is, in that moment, You just don't care about the meal plan, the 30-day whatever, the quick fix. It just doesn't matter. In that moment, all that matters is the emotion that is driving you to food in the first place. So we have to deal with that. And I, today and over the next few weeks, am going to help you deal with that. I am not going to pitch you a food plan or meal list because, quite frankly, we've all been there. We've all done that. And that is not the root of the problem for the majority of people. I say this all the time, but we don't struggle with our weight because we're just really unclear on whether or not we should eat the oaks, right? It is about the reasons we eat when we know we're either not hungry or we're doing it for emotional reasons. And I'm not going to give you a pep talk today. It sort of feels to me like there are two schools of thought out there, and they're very different schools of thought. So the one school is the dieting school. Here, eat this, just like this. Only eat this. Eat this at this time and in this quantity. There you go. You're good. Have a good day. The second school of thought is, come on, man, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Just stop eating. 
And it's the, come on, get tough. You need to get control of your emotions and your impulses and yada, yada, yada. And I personally don't like either approach. And it's funny because at the root of both approaches is reality because we do need to eat the right things and we do need to have control over our emotional impulses. But neither of those approaches are super practical because we can get the meal plan and the food list and we've had it before. The challenge is we don't follow it, right? It's like, okay, maybe we have a good week and then we have a terrible week and then we're frustrated and then we never look at it again or it's on again, off again. And then the other approach is like really not helpful. It's really not helpful. I, I get almost, I don't know, I get a little annoyed, I think, when I hear people say, just stop, come on, get tough, have a little self-respect because it's not effective. I, I mean, I kind of want to say to those people like, oh, okay, thanks. I, I've, <laughs> I've never given myself that pep talk before. Why didn't I think of that, right? It's as if someone say, I can't drive a stick shift. Like me, Elizabeth, I can't drive a stick shift. And it would be like somebody saying to me, come on, it's so easy. Just get in the car and decide you can do it and play around with it and you'll figure it out. And then they hop in the car and they're like, look, woohoo, look at me. And they make it look easy, which is fine and cool and maybe it's inspiring, but it doesn't help me with the fact that every time I get behind the wheel and try, it's not that I'm not trying, I stall the car. So I'm not really helped by the idea of, oh, come on, just do it. It's easy. Like that's lovely, but completely not helpful. And it's the same thing with the attitude of, come on, just love yourself. Nothing tastes as good as thin feels. It's like, okay, I've given myself that exact same pep talk a hundred million times before, and it works until I'm faced with that emotion that is my trigger. So how about you help me with that? Okay, I will. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do today. We're going to get really practical and tactical. It's not me saying that there isn't a mental or emotional component of kind of just do it. There is a little bit of that. Some of it is developing the mental muscle to say no to yourself. But that doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen without some specific strategies. I'm not going to deny that you do have to get to the point where you have chosen to associate more pleasure with achieving your goals, honoring your health, and being in control of your relationship with food than the pleasure you've associated with the subpar cookie at the holiday party. But that takes work. And when, when I say that takes work, I know a lot of people are like, all right, so what's the work? That's what I want to tell you today. I want you to think about this for a second before we dive in. And that is, we have this expectation that other people, when they make guarantees or promises to us, that they're going to hold them through. And if they don't, we're really upset, right? But we don't have that same standard of accountability for ourselves and the promises we make to ourselves. If somebody fails us, if somebody says, oh yeah, I'm going to be here at this time, or I'm going to give you this level of service, and they don't, we're like horrified. What the heck is wrong with you? That's not okay. But I think if we look at ourselves, we would see that we break promises all the time. Now, one quick thing, last thing, before I dive into the practical strategies here, is related to my own journey with emotional eating. And I want to be very clear and honest that I have been here in a very big way. I am not 
the person behind the mic who can relate to emotional eating because I've overdone it on the carrots and hummus a few too many times or maybe had a handful of protein bars like no, 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 no. I've bought a Carvel cake at the grocery store and ate it in my car alone with a plastic fork and kept eating it after the plastic fork broke because if you've ever had a Carvel cake, you know that those things might as well be bricks. But I have walked through the grocery store alone pretty much in the middle of, the, well, no, definitely in the middle of the night and in the heat of an emotion, sadness, frustration, anger, loneliness, whatever, filled up a cart or a basket with more than 10 things and then started eating them still in the store, eating them on the drive home, eating them alone in my office. I have suffered from emotional eating in big ways. So I come from this in a place of understanding how it can feel like that will never change how it can feel like it would require superhuman strength to ever overcome that behavior. And that's not true because I am not a superhero and I do not have superhuman willpower in any way, shape or form. The desire you have right now is not the desire you will always have. If you feel like you are a sugar addict who loves sweets and will never stop, that does change. It does change. It doesn't happen overnight, but you can change that. If you feel like you are the classic penultimate emotional eater, that is your thing, that is your cross to bear, that can change. You can change that. It will happen for you if you stay the course, if you stay committed to the goal. And hear me, it won't always be hard. It won't always be hard hard. Sometimes I wonder if it was a big mistake for me to start doing the what I ate yesterday segments at the end of this podcast, because I hear a lot of time people who say, oh, Elizabeth, I could never eat like you eat. I could never do that. I'm such an emotional eater. I don't know how you eat so clean. A, it didn't happen overnight. And B, I want you to understand what a radical shift that was for me. I was the girl who had Chick-fil-A in the morning, like more than one Chick-fil-A meal and vending machine candy all day long and then Taco Bell on the way to the grocery store to buy the Carvel cake and the frozen pizza and the cupcakes and the ice cream and, 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 and that's where I was at. So the fact that I am at this place now and it feels effortless for me tells you that you can change, not just through discipline and willpower, but literally your tastes, your preferences do change. They do change. I've told you guys before how like Hostess cupcakes, I used to think they were the most delicious thing in the world. Now they taste entirely different to me. It's not just, no, Elizabeth, you can't have a Hostess cupcake. I truly do not want it anymore, and that can change. And it takes less time than you think it does. In fact, I was just on a, on a call with one of my clients the other day, and I've only been working with her for maybe six weeks, and she said to me, I can't believe how strong my sugar cravings were just a few weeks ago. And I can't believe how quickly and completely they have changed. I do not have those desires anymore and I never imagined that I would not only be able to resist them, I never imagined that they would just 
go away. So that is possible for you. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go through the first step of overcoming emotional eating, and then I am going to go through several specific tactical strategies, and I want you to pick one of them to begin to implement. Now, I know I just said I'm going to go through the first of three steps to overcome emotional eating. I'm going to be going through the other two steps on a New Year's not literally New Year's Eve, a New Year's webinar. It's New Year, new approach. Not like diet plan, but really getting to the root of what holds you back. So it is a free webinar. I'm going to hold it live at two different times, totally free. If you want to reserve your spot, because the software does limit the number of attendees, you can go to primalpotential.com slash new year. And on that webinar, I'm going to go through all three of the strategies and a whole lot more. Uh, and I'm going to share with you some specific ways that my clients have gotten results with these strategies. But just go to primalpotential.com slash new year. Or if you're sitting with your phone right now and you, there's going to be two sessions. The first one is January 5th, which is a Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. If that time works for you, all you need to do is text Jan 5, 2016, all one word, Jan 5, 2016, to the number 33444. Or the second session is the next day, Wednesday, January 6th, and that one's going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And you would just text Jan 6, 2016, to the number 33444. Now, guys, that is a new number. The number that I've told you in past episodes is totally works, but this is a different number. So if you want the January 5th, session at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's Jan 5, 2016 to 33444. Or the Jan 6th, it's Jan 6, 2016. That one's at 9 p.m. on the 6th Eastern. You text Jan 6, 2016 to 33444. Or you can just go to primalpotential.com slash new year and grab your spot. I really think that the people who decide to register and attend will... <laughs> completely transform in the first, I'm just going to be bold, in the first quarter of the year. If they follow the strategies that I teach in that free webinar, I know in the first 90 days of the year, they can absolutely transform not just their bodies, but their relationship with food. All right, so I will link to um, the registration on the show notes as well, but let's dive into the first strategy for overcoming emotional eating, and then we'll go into the practical implementation, how you can begin to change your behavior. So we've already established that focusing on food is an issue. It's a problem because we know when we're eating something that sabotages us, but we don't stop. We do it anyway. That is what we need to address and overcome, period, no debate. And there are a series of questions. This is the first step. There are a series of questions I want you to take some time to ask yourself. And these questions will be in the show notes over at primalpotential.com. I want you to sit down with a pen and paper, a journal, whatever, maybe even a voice recorder, because I think it can be really powerful to hear yourself say things and then listen back to it. But either way, I don't want you to just mull these over when I'm talking. I really want you to carve out some time to look for some answers here. 
because understanding why you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, if it's working for you, what you think it's doing for you, and if that is true, that is undoubtedly the first step to overcoming emotional eating. So I'm going to go through the questions and then I'm going to give you an example of how I answered the questions. So number one, what's the problem? What is it that you are doing in the case of emotional eating or overeating? Like define your issue. And let me be clear. The answer is not, I don't know. If you are tempted to say, I don't know, that's okay. But what it really means is I haven't yet explored it enough to understand it. And that is what these questions are going to help you do. So the answer is not, I don't know. That just means I haven't really given it enough thought yet. So what is, what is my problem here? What am I doing? When we're looking at things from the perspective of emotional eating, what am I doing? And I'm going to go through an example here so you can understand how I answer these. But I want you to find these answers for yourself because you must understand the behavior first. The second question is, I emotionally eat or I overeat because, and then fill in the blank. I emotionally eat or I binge eat or I overeat because... I emotionally eat when, and here I want you to define where you are, when this happens most often, what you are doing, and how you are feeling. I emotionally eat when. The fourth question is, it's never a problem when. So you're defining not only when it is a problem, but also when it's not a problem. And maybe it's only not a problem when you're asleep, right? But for me, and I'll go through this in a minute, for me, it was never a problem in the morning. It was always later in the day. So I want you to understand when it's not a problem because that is going to help you create the solution. Understanding when you don't struggle with it is going to help you understand how to react when it is a problem. The fifth question is, what does it do for me? Why am I doing it, right? The, the what does it do for me is about what, why do I do it? What do I get from it? Or, or even what is it that I think I get from it? Because oftentimes what you think you get from it is not truly what you are getting from it. And then I want you to keep asking two questions until you really feel like you understand the behavior completely. And the first question is just simply, why? Why? Just keep asking yourself, why? And then the second one, and I think this one's even more powerful, is, is that true? Is that true? All right. There's a quote from Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield is the brain behind the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I think this quote is so powerful here when we're talking about understanding the behavior that holds us back. He says, it's not what you don't know that holds you back. It's what you know that isn't true. And so many times we're going after filling in the holes of what we don't know. And that's why we're so attracted to meal plans and food lists. Like, just tell me what to eat. That must be what I don't know. Mm, that's not the issue. That's not what's holding you back. It's what you know that isn't true. And I'm going to give you an example of this by answering the questions for myself. So if I were to go back to the point in my life when I was deep in the throes of sabotaging my weight loss with emotional eating, this is how I would answer these questions. What's the problem? Problem is, I get upset in some way, shape, or form, and 
I eat, I binge, I overeat, I stuff myself, I feel awful. What am I doing? I am literally in emotion going to the grocery store and buying a embarrassing amount of food and then eating it all. <laughs> I mean, here we're just really trying to establish the background. It might seem kind of pointless, but I think it's really powerful to get it on paper. Something has a different influence on you when you write it down or when you say it out loud. So I would keep going. I emotionally eat because I'm lonely, I'm bored, I'm stressed, I don't know. And then as soon as I would say, I don't know, I would remind myself, okay, you just haven't figured it out then. So that's not an answer. I emotionally eat because I think food makes me less lonely. Okay. It happens when, uh, it usually would happen in the evening after work, after dark, uh, sometimes I was alone, sometimes not, but always feeling lonely or sad. It never happens when, um, it never happens, uh, it did happen at work sometimes, um, so I would say it never happens in the morning. I didn't always make good food choices in the morning, but I wasn't emotionally eating in the morning, so I would say it never happens in the morning it never happens really even in the first half of the day. All right, so what does it do for me? I think I think that I would really believe that it makes me less lonely. So then the next question is, is that true? I don't know. I mean, I would normally get stuck here. So this is this is how I would work through sort of feeling like I don't really know how to answer that. So I would say, well, what is loneliness? Like, let's really get to the root of this. What is loneliness? And you can insert emotions and situations that are relevant to you, but I want to walk you through this example with my own self. So what is loneliness? Where does loneliness come from? And I would say a lack of real, meaningful relationships in my life. Okay, so if I am feeling lonely and I'm defining loneliness as a lack of real, meaningful relationships in my life, then the only way that, that eating would really make me less lonely would have to be if eating creates real meaningful relationships in my life. Like that, do you see what I mean? If loneliness is the lack of real meaningful relationships in my life, then for eating to make me less lonely, then eating would have to provide real meaningful relationships in my life. Does it? No. Okay, so then what does it do for me? I guess it's just a distraction. It distracts me from that feeling of loneliness so that I don't have to feel it. Okay, so now I'm understanding when I feel an emotion that makes me uncomfortable, I turn to food because eating is more comfortable. Even the really crappy feelings that I hate myself and I'm frustrated with myself, that is more comfortable than experiencing loneliness, right? And I, and I think in understanding my behavior now, even as awful as I would feel after a binge, after an emotional eating episode, at least it was my own fault. So experiencing loneliness would be maybe I'm not good enough for other people in my life, which I don't feel control over. And so that feels way more scary than like, 
Elizabeth, you just suck. What's wrong with you? You just ate like three days worth of food in 17 minutes. That was more comfortable than dealing with emotion, right? But here's the thing, and I had to learn this the hard way. Running from a situation or a feeling or an emotion isn't resolution. Running isn't resolution. It doesn't solve the problem. That problem is still there waiting for you. And so you will always, always, always struggle with it until you address the problem. So using a different example here for people who say eat when they are sad and they feel like eating makes them less sad. The only way that that is true is if the reason that you are sad is because you aren't eating. So if you are sad because you aren't eating, then eating will make you less sad. But if you are sad for any other reason, then telling yourself that eating makes you less sad isn't true. It just is a distraction. And more often than not, that compounds the problem. That is the situation. And it is not an effective strategy to run from an issue because then every single day when you get home, it is still there waiting for you. Now, this is really interesting and this is something that I encourage my clients to keep in mind all the time. The lifespan of an emotion is only about 90 seconds. That is the time it takes for it to travel through your nervous system. There is only one way an emotion can be kept alive after 90 seconds, and that is thought. The only way that you can keep an emotion alive is if you continue to think about it, which is what most of us do. That is what most of us do. We fixate on it. We think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. And when it's an uncomfortable emotion, all we are doing it is keeping it on life support by our own thought. So now let's get into the strategies. And there are a lot of different strategies that I work with my clients on. And the strategy depends on your starting point, your baseline, what you are struggling with, and what might work for you. Let me be clear that I do not want you to hear all of these strategies and implement all of them. I want you to pick the one that resonates most with you and implement that, okay? Just one. Now, the first one is to define a set number of indulgences that you are going to have either per day or per week. And again, this depends on your baseline, your starting point. Some people that I work with are at the point in their journey where they are indulging multiple times every day, right? Whether that is um, a pastry in the morning and then a sugary coffee drink a few hours later and then a handful of chocolate and then dessert after dinner and maybe a glass of wine. So with individuals like that, I might suggest that they decide I'm going to have one indulgence per day. Now, other people maybe indulge once a day already, and so I might dial them back to four per week. 
but this is going to depend on your baseline. And what this does is it forces you to begin to be selective about what you want to indulge in. And in the moment of decision, you really have to be present. You can't just like see the chocolate and grab it. You have to say, is this what I really want? Like if I only get one indulgence a day, is this what I want it to be? And it builds in the thought process that you're going to need to continue to take that to the next level. Now, of course, this doesn't work for everybody because it depends on the baseline frequency of your indulging, but one per day or four per week or two per week or whatever represents an improvement for you, not a dramatic improvement. Listen, if you are indulging four times a day right now, please don't go to two times per week. There's just no need for it. All you need is an improvement. So look at what represents a moderate improvement and go for that. The second, and this is the one that I personally use, comes best or, or, or works best for people who really benefit from understanding their behavior. And when they understand it, they feel like they have more control. And I am certainly one of those people, but not everybody else is. Not everybody is sort of cerebral and wants to really think and feel, but I really like and benefit from understanding my behavior. So this approach is what I call mandatory questions. So I can indulge in anything I want at any time. The only standard I set for myself is that before I indulge, I ask myself a series of mandatory questions. Now, I can do this in my head, but if I'm starting out with my clients, I will have them do it on paper. Sometimes I'll have them do it by texting me, like standing here, chocolate in front of me, here are the answers to my questions, right? And the questions are not to tell you not to eat whatever it is you're considering, but to help you decide if it's the right choice for you in that moment. And sometimes it is, and that's totally cool. And there are a couple of different questions that I use. You don't have to go through all of these, but find the ones that make the most sense for you and start doing those. So the first example I wanna give is a series of three questions, and these are the ones that I personally use, and there's one of my clients that's also using these right now and finds them really helpful. So the first question is, how do I wanna feel in 30 minutes? 30 minutes from now, well, for me right now, that would be about 6.30 in the morning. 30 minutes from now, how do I wanna feel? I wanna feel energetic, focused, motivated. Okay, if I eat this donut, how will I feel in 30 minutes? Probably a little frustrated and maybe even a little queasy and probably hungry because that hit on my blood sugar early in the morning will accelerate hunger. So given how I wanna feel in 30 minutes and how the donut will make me feel in 30 minutes, is it worth it? And there's no issue if the answer is yes, it's worth it. But the truth is the answer won't always be yes, it's worth it. So those three questions, how do I wanna feel in 30 minutes? How will this thing make me feel in 30 minutes? And given that, is it worth it? The second question, and this doesn't have to be asked along with the first set of questions is, if I were to make this choice every day for the next year, would I like where I'm at? Would I like the way my body looks? And you might be thinking, well, I'm just making the choice right now. Right, but when you make a choice, you reinforce that choice as a pattern of behavior. Whether you make it once or you make it a thousand times, you are forming a little neural pathway in your brain that says, this is an option. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes to take that option. So if I do this, I am enforcing this as a pattern of behavior. 
Where will that take me in a year? And do I want to do that? Right? Another question, and this is for people who maybe have a high standard for themselves and 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 really care about, hmm, how do I say this in a, I don't mean this in a negative way at all, so I don't want to frame it in a negative way, but there are people who really sort of put themselves on a bit of a pedestal in terms of the kind of example they want to set for maybe their family or their coworkers or whatever it is. And they think that this question can be helpful for them. What type of person do I think makes this kind of choice? And do I want to be that type of person? So in this example, it is 5.55 a.m., what type of person eats a donut at 5.55 a.m., and do I want to be that type of person? Now, that's not a judgment. That's Everybody's going to have a different answer there. I'm not passing judgment, but it's a, it's a real legit thing to think about. What type of person has a donut at 5.55 a.m., or what type of person has three chocolate chip cookies at 10 a.m., and do I want to be that type of person, right? Not a moral judgment, but certainly a low-energy person, right? The next strategy can take a lot of different forms, and I sometimes use this one too, and that is I can have whatever I want whenever I want it, but I am going to pause first. I am going to take a moment, and sometimes it literally is a moment, so that's what I mean when I say there are different ways you can implement this. You can have whatever it is that you desire, but first, maybe you take five slow, deep breaths first, or... Maybe you wait for 60 seconds, or maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you wait for five minutes. Maybe you say, I can have whatever I want, but I'm going to work out first, and then I'm going to reevaluate the decision and see if I want it. Another thing that I do here is I can have this, but first I'm going to write one page in my journal. And typically that pause is enough to kind of give you your perspective back. Is this really what I want? Is this really what I need? Is, is this more than a momentary desire? Oftentimes, if you don't just react, then you don't really want it. Many of our least desirable choices are made in a moment of impulse. And so if we build in a pause, the moment often passes on its own and we don't really have to fight with ourselves about it. So it's sort of just giving yourself a little bit of margin to figure out, is this a real desire or is this just sort of an impulse because something is here? Now, this next strategy is one of my very favorites. I think this is so undervalued. And that is, do not focus on food at all, but decide to practice self-discipline in other areas that have nothing to do with food. And the value here is some people feel really burdened by the focus on food and I get that and it feels exhausting and it feels overwhelming and there are things that you can do and focus on and improve and establish as habits that will absolutely change your relationship with food but indirectly because you will feel like a more productive person you will feel more confident and you will have more self-respect and that absolutely without question influences your food choices so what I would recommend here is building habits that emphasize self-discipline and have nothing to do with food. So examples would be, decide to create the habit of making your bed every single day. Your focus is not on food, but you are going to make your bed every single day. Or you are going to clean the kitchen every morning before you leave for work. 
or you are going to floss your teeth every single day or improve your posture. As I just said that, I realized that I'm like totally hunched over here. I hate when I do that. Um, but regardless of what strategy you implement, I want everyone to focus on leaning in to the emotion. Remember I said a few minutes ago that running is not resolution. Running is not resolution at all. And so many of us are so uncomfortable by particular emotions or stress or frustration that we run from it and then we never resolve it. And I think it's far more powerful to lean into the emotion, go the opposite way. And the analogy I like to use here is if you've ever had a fine necklace, a, a fine chain get tangled, if you just tug and pull in the opposite direction, what happens? It gets worse, right? But if you take that knot in your hands and you start to push in towards it, it gives you enough access to resolve the knot. But that is leaning into it. And that's what we have to do with emotion. Lean into it. Really kind of sit with it and say, how can I resolve this? Like the loneliness thing. Running is eating, not feeling it. But instead, gosh, this really sucks. And this is a result of a lack of meaningful relationships in my life. Eating doesn't solve the problem. How do I really resolve this issue? What do I need to do? What is one thing I can do today to help build meaningful relationships in my life? What does that look like? And what can I do today to move in that direction? Because if I resolve that, then I won't have this urge to run from it. And this urge to run from it is usually accompanied by food so I can eliminate the trigger if I create a situation where I'm no longer feeling this loneliness. That is what it looks like to lean in. And it does get easier with practice. I promise it gets easier with practice. Now, I really, really, really hope that you will decide to join me and, oh, gosh, I want your 2016 to be epic, to be amazing, to really not chase your tail anymore with the same messed up strategy that just doesn't work. Please, no more diets, no more meal plans, no more food lists. Let's really understand why you sabotage, why you emotionally eat, and let's resolve that. And I am doing this free training where I'm going to go through the three ways to get out of your own way and start getting results. You can register at primalpotential.com slash new year. Or if you know you want the January 5th, which is a Tuesday session that's at 8 p.m. Eastern, just text Jan 5 2016, all one word, to the number 33444. Or if you know you want the January 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern time, just text Jan 6 2016. Or just go to, uh, to the number 33444. Or just go to primalpotential.com slash new year. I know that you wouldn't be listening to this episode if you didn't want to change in some way. And I am going to help you do that for free. So please do not miss this opportunity to get control and make a change. All right, let's wrap up with what I ate yesterday. I started the day with coffee as usual, probably about a pot. Um, and then I had bacon and eggs with cabbage. The cabbage I eat raw and I really, really like it that way. And it's shredded, by the way. 
And then I had leftover cabbage because I didn't eat it all. So after my workout, I just had like a random stir fry of cabbage and ground turkey and tomatoes. And I was really hungry last night. So I had chicken and guacamole and Brussels sprouts with bacon. And shortly thereafter, I had raw jicama slices because I was just really hungry. So when I'm hungry, I eat. That is what I ate yesterday. I cannot wait to see you on these webinars and help you really crush your goals in the new year. We will talk to you soon. I hope you have a wonderful day and a happy, happy, safe new year. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.